0: This is Brian Reisman. Welcome to Side Jams, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Please subscribe to keep up with all my new episodes. I'd like to thank Pantheon sponsor AKG for their support of this podcast. I record Sidejams with their AKG Lyra microphone, and it won a Nam Tech Award this year in the recording microphone category. And that's a major audio industry accolade. Kudos. Hey everybody, this is Michael Sadler from Saga. You're listening to Side Jams with Brian Reisman on the Pantheon Podcast Network. The mastermind behind Blue Stolly is Brett Autry. His tastes are as eclectic as mine, which is probably why I was drawn to his genre-blurring music. The one-man electronic rock band isn't afraid to pepper his tunes with everything from hip-hop to ambient to metalcore, as evidenced on his intense new album, Obsidian. It's the third and final entry in his Dead Channel trilogy that also includes the releases Quartz and Copper. On the poppier side of his life, his sunset neon side project is R&B-infused synthwave with a perky 80s vibe. The song Never Dance Again will stay stuck in your head for days. When Brett needs a break from intense periods of musical creation, he likes to take long drives and listen to audiobooks, not songs. And like me, he's a big cult movie fan. Naturally, we chatted up a storm for episode 37 of Side Jams, discussing how he is engaged by books read by other people, and not just the authors, how the imperfections of many B-movies can make them endearing, and why we just can't get enough of them. This is one of my longest episodes and was edited down from an epic three-and-a-half-hour convo. It starts off filled with fun and laughter... Veers into some intriguing insights and ends on a very poignant note. I think you'll like it. I see your Twin Peaks T-shirt. Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, I was actually curious. The circuit board tattoos that inspired by Tron. You know, it was.
1: That's that's <laughs> definitely that's definitely part of it. Uh, the joke that I always make with it is that it's a uh, it's what happens when you grow up on a on a steady diet of like trying to find any any possible bit of cyberpunk sci-fi stuff back, Mm. you know, back back in the eighties and nineties and stuff when that was really, you know, still sort of like below the surface. Yeah. It's my sister who does all of my, all of my tattoos. And at first I was, Oh yeah. I was (laughs) the nerdiest thing ever. I was initially, (laughs) when I just had the idea for for doing the, um, the circuit boards, I was literally going to find, a schematic of like an old school sampler. Yeah. 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 Like here, this ASR 10 that I can't even afford and will probably never get to use, like try to work this in. And she's like, you know, I'm the visual artist. Why don't you let me come up with something? Because I know it's going to look good on on an arm. Like fair point. Why don't you do that? Well, there you go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I, I I mean, I was a teenager in the eighties. There was an interesting time period. I feel like, the eighties were like this glorious and terrible time. Like we had some amazing stuff. And then socially you look back and go, I can understand why millennials and Gen Z kids are like, yeah, you guys had some issues with sexism and other things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know it's, you know, but by the same token, there was, it was this decade of incredible creativity that I, I feel like, like your music mixes a lot of eighties and nineties influences together. Oh yeah. I feel like, I don't know if this is true. I feel like the eighties is still bigger than the nineties somehow. Mm. Like, I I, I don't know. How How do you see it? I
1: think that's a really fair assessment because there's things that still, and that's that's not to say that each decade doesn't have like its own defining aesthetic and well, sound. Does. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you know, I mean, there's there is certainly that. There's I I feel like there's something more. Uh, I think people may gravitate to the 80s more just because of. It seems like there was a almost a newfound flourishing of. Of creativity you know it's like yeah. like we had synth music coming through we had uh like like the birth of hip-hop we had new wave we had people getting into music that weren't necessarily didn't necessarily have access to it before Yeah, and so that combined with like both like both the bright colors of the aesthetic on the pop end of the spectrum yep. and the sort of like absolute rejection of that and like well let's explore the absolute darkness of that you had these two extremes not necessarily warring but uh kind of working in in tandem and in parallel whereas like the 90s was kind of the disillusionment of all of that so it's like no we've we've all of this crashed we're gonna we're gonna explore just uh like sort of more the mire of it so it's like the '90s is still fun. There's still like a lot of really fun things that came from that, and a lot of my stuff references.
0: Well, the underground uh, was cooler in the '90s. Actually, yes. That, I didn't like the mainstream '90s. I was like a big goth fan. I got into some of the electro, like industrial stuff. I liked ambient music, and not like the ambient techno necessarily, but like real ambient music. Right. So, like Instinct would do stuff that was dancey, but then they have like Tetsu Inoue, or they would have Terry Temlitz. Yeah. Stuff that was that was more spacey and ethereal. Yeah, I feel like there was cool stuff going on. It just happened below the surface a lot more, whereas the 80s mm-hmm. was kind of a, a broader spectrum, I guess. Right.
1: Yeah, it's like you can pull up a, like if you pull up a best of the 80s playlist that someone put together, it's like, you'll probably hear some Susie on there. If you yep. pull up a best of the 90s, it's like, you're probably not going to hear Skinny Puppy, which I also, I almost debated wearing that shirt. I'm like, which way do I go for <laughs> this thing? It's on video. How <laughs> do I, I, I present?
0: Well, I'm only using the audio anyway. <laughs> oh, excellent. I relate to a lot of your your music because like i as i said like i was into a lot of the dark a lot of darker stuff i mean you know what even I mean, even on your new album i mean like i think indoor like it has a lot of spacey stuff but then it was like there's like a burst of metal core like sort of like right at the beginning it feels like oh yeah and then like you mix up the mountain has a little bit of a pop thing nothing ever says is definitely poppier obsidian mm-hmm. kind of goes in this very ethereal dancey vein which has a cool blue Hued video Mm -hmm. and then i'm listening to like the rest of the trilogy and like there's metal over here and then there's like r&b sunset neon your your synthwave side product is like r&b flavored synthwave Mm -hmm. which is retro music but it's modern i guess
1: right right well and that was a that was a sort of thing of like i mean specifically speaking of the uh the sunset neon thing it was kind of like i did that one is sort of like a lot of the stuff i do is like it's it can sometimes be like a like a tongue in cheek look at the, at the aspects that I love about something that are like, you know, like it may poke fun at something, but in a loving way, I'm like, well, the only way to do it is to do like what I've, what I would view is like a cool version that would be on a soundtrack, like the lost soundtrack to rad or something. So it's like there'll be something (laughs) like the ultimate montage song Mm -hmm. in something like tonight. But then other songs on that that like got you and everything and stuff like that, every sort of eighties throwback thing that I would listen to would focus on. It seems like people were focusing more on the very stilted, almost like the robotic, like synthetic elements and stuff like that. And like, yeah. did people forget that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis did incredible things with this stuff? And that like Morris day in the time, just like, just like blew the lid off of, off of stuff like this. And it had like legit some of the best drum programming I've ever heard in my life. So it's like a lot of that stuff is a tribute to that. Cause I'm like, like, hopefully this can be a, like a gateway. People like, Oh, like what was the inspiration for this? I'm like, go listen to the control album from Janet Jackson. It's the best drum pro programming
0: you'll hear in your life. Well, it's funny because the musicians always know it better than the fans. Mm. So like the fans have to learn about the older acts do the musicians it seems like in your music, it kind of all this stuff lives on in a, in a hybrid form. Like, I think I read a quote from you from an interview from a few years ago where you basically said, you know, I'd listen to these movie soundtracks, not the scores, but the pop and rock tunes that were collected. All these genres in one in one soundtrack. And why, And you're like, why can't one person do that on an album? Like, exactly. Yeah, that completely makes sense with what you're doing. I'm glad that shines through. And it's like,
1: it's very specifically like, I, I think they call them. I don't know if this was like a like a universal term for it, but I've I've heard some people refer to it as like an event soundtrack if they got people to do a song just for the yeah, just yeah. for the soundtrack. But like uh on that band soundtrack to the movie Virtuosity, yeah, yeah. there's alternate versions of the songs. And so they have a thing like there's a song from the band Live, Live's mm-hmm. Awesome. Like, you know, like we've we all heard live on the radio and stuff like that, but the yeah, yeah. version of the song that's on that soundtrack is a hip hop remix of it where it's like, it's the live song, but then remix through a hip hop lens with like sampled beats and stuff like that. And like, this is awesome. What a cool way to do this. You know, and then it goes yeah. like straight into like techno. I'm like,
0: this should just, I want this to just be a record. Like this should, this should be a thing. That's cool. So obviously like me, you're always busy creating something mm-hmm. so uh, what what do you have a chance to do with with since it's for side jams what do, what, what do you have a chance to do outside <laughs> of all of this when you're let out of your musical cage the yeah, so uh, i would say that
1: the the rare times when free time does present itself and and sometimes it's sometimes it hits that point where i think we all kind of hit that point where you have to it, it it comes to a breaking point where where you're like if I don't at least just take a day to decompress, then I'm yeah. going to like the work will suffer. So you have to, you have to have some yeah. sort of outlet. You have to do something. I think I sort of, whether consciously or no, I, I designed these albums to be not only good for listening at home in headphones and being, and being like, Holy crap. There's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of bizarre noisescapes going on, but also something that can be just a great, Driving record, right? You know, just just something to soundtrack a long drive, and uh, because every waking hour uh, on a, on a work schedule is spent making music, that's the last thing I want to hear in a car. So I'll throw, I'll take a long drive. I'm like, I'm like, how about how about I just like drive for four, four and a half hours and listen to an audiobook and just kind of let everything else melt away pop something on hmm. listen like listen to an element of storytelling and it's a way to like it's a way to kind of get lost in the pros and you are doing something you're focusing it's still it's still but it's still something in the in the background so it's like you're just letting your imagination go and perhaps mixing yeah. it with the with the environments around you and then uh when that's not an option like just now I was like I'm gonna go for a drive I'm like oh my my tires flat. I should fix that first. Then, then it's <laughs> then it's like, well, let's 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 go to the movie repository and just and just soak in some of that. Like whether it's whether it's something like completely artful and surreal, like that action, Twin
0: Peaks,
1: <laughs> <laughs> or like I I love the hell out of uh, out of like like eighties and nineties like like the stuff that if it wasn't straight to video felt like it mm-hmm. should have been, you know, or just like, just,
0: just has that. Well, vibe. that was the time when a lot of stuff was straight to video, saved a lot of people's asses and created a lot of careers that probably wouldn't have existed. Absolutely. But blogging and podcasting does today for a lot of people where you probably wouldn't have, you would have known about them prior to that.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's, I think there's something to it for, um, I don't know, there, there's there, there's a charm that those, that those films have, that's like uh, you understand that it's not like, you know, it may not it may or may not be self-aware. They may be doing a wink right. and a nudge. And even if they're not, even if they made it completely in earnest, there's still a charm. There's still like an underdog charm to it. because so It's like, yes, I know technically there are better movies, but this is like the scrappy little underdog that like. Ah, it's like I know what drum machine they're using in the in the soundtrack that's so cool. Like they didn't have money for effects and all of the money that would have gone to perhaps hiring a larger crew or yeah. or people to storyboard out the thing rather than making it up as they go along. Like let's spend that on pyro. Let's just blow shit up.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I I'm a high art and low art kind of guy. Oh yeah. So like I love 2001 and I finally got the actual chance to see that at Lincoln Center with a live orchestra. 110 inch screen and it was like choirs on other balcony so when they did the whole monolith thing oh my God. you're getting it in stereo which was amazing my girlfriend had seen it with me earlier when they did the Christopher Nolan sort of non-restoration of keeping it looking mm. like it did and sounding like it did back in the day and then seeing it live was just it was intense but I love blow up there's certain art films I love and then by the same token I've seen alien versus predator three times yes now because there's just something about that movie it's the sequel. to after it is terrible. It's <laughs> awful. But that movie, for whatever reason, like you could argue it's schlock. But I'm like, you know, it's really well made. It creates a vibe. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. At the same time, I think Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight is freaking hilarious, and it's so ridiculous that 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 goes on my list also. And I, and that's the funny thing when you recommend things to people because you have to be careful. Oh, yeah. who, who you're talking about? What's a good example of a, of maybe like a, a Hollywood movie that's really like, really should have been a direct to video movie?
1: Well, like. I, I can't remember when, uh, like, I don't know what the release was for the movie Split Second with Rucker Hauer. It opens in, in, like, in the opening crawl. It says, like, HBO I just films. saw that
0: on Amazon a few months ago. <sighs> you know, that's the futuristic one where global warming is kind of, it's like a cop. Yes. It's a cop thriller, but these, but like, London is starting to have flooding on the streets because of climate change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the ending is like an alien movie out of nowhere. You're like, what? Oh, yeah. It's like
1: every, um... It's like every buddy cop action cliche that had come before it stirred into one film, uh, just with it. But like, it's one of those things where it's like where other people would see things that are, that are failings that would cloud their view of the entire thing. I look at it and go like, but look at all the amazing things that like, there's such a cool atmosphere to that movie. And it's, it's so rewatchably fun. And I've heard it. I've heard that movie sampled in songs and stuff before so it just sort of endears it even more to Yeah. Me.
0: Well, it, it got a theatrical release cuz it got reviewed by the New York Times, Variety, Entertainment Weekly. It did not make its budget back. Kim Cattrall is also in it, which is oh, great. Yeah. And then it's sort of like Michael J. Pollard who's a, a character actor that a lot of kids today would not know. Um but he I mean he was back on the original Lost in Space back in the 60s. Interesting. It, you know, I have a story about Rutger Hauer. So I was I had did a story for MSN Movies about this is back in 2012, mm. positing whether 1982 was the best year for sci-fi and fantasy ever, just because of the sheer diversity of movies. And I was supposed to interview him, but I'd been in the hospital the week before, and I was on blood thinners, oh, no. so I I fell asleep and I forgot. And now, of course, I'll never be able to oh. interview. him. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, no. I mean, glorious. Like, what what other what
1: quirky films do you like? I always sort of consider my like my holy trinity of warm blanket weird movies every time i watch split second i have to i have to double feature it with uh with the albert pion film nemesis with olivier gruner interesting i've never seen that one it, th- i think they made like i think they made like five five to nine more of those movies i have not seen those because the first one is good god oh yeah, that albert pion had had made just like if you want the king of those movies where it's like Holy crap, you can't find this anywhere. I mean, that Nemesis you can find a lot of places, but he has other yeah. movies like Vicious Lips from I think 1985 or 87 that I think you can only find on YouTube unless it's now popped up on something like Tubi or something like that. But I I first discovered that guy back in um so I I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona and mm-hmm. there was a there was a little grocery store that my I would stay with my grandparents over like summer vacation where where my mom's like, well, I gotta work, I need someone to watch my kid. Hey, my parents are cool, they'll take care of them. So whenever my whenever my grandma would have to go to the grocery store, she's like, Oh, they have like a little video rental section. So she's like, go go yeah. pick yourself out a movie to watch. And because it was a video rental section in a grocery store, they couldn't really afford to get like here's all the latest and greatest. So they got all these weird movies. So that was my exposure to this stuff. Yep. And I got this movie called Radioactive Dreams. That's I've heard of that. I've never seen it though. It's so what a weird, a co- great soundtrack. It has it has some of my favorite songs in any movie. Like like talk about eighties on overload.
2: <laughs> it's a sci
1: fi apocalyptic musical action comedy with like deadly biker gangs, all sorts of Mad Max stuff, cannibalistic hippies, dance numbers, rock and roll. It's, it's just, it's everything you want. And it's, many people would argue, not a good movie. Sure, I'll grant you that. Is it a fun movie? Oh, hell yeah, dude.
0: You know, you're talking about Albert Pyeon. Okay, he directed one of my favorite cult movies of all time, which is still not out on Blu-ray, which pisses me off. Sword and the Sorcerer, from 1982. Oh yes, the the, the one with the guy with the tri- triple-bladed sword and two of the blades shoot out, except for the center Hell one, yeah. and it has Lee Horsley of Matt Houston PI fame. I bought the soundtrack. I have the disc. It's it's the, unfortunately the the Anchor Bay release is almost 20 years old now, so it's not it's a standard definition, and I just. It is alpha male, gratuitous violence and boobs. So it's definitely a boy movie, but I'm like, this is awesome. My dad took me to see, I'll give you something. I give my dad dad credit. I was not. I was barely even a teenager when my dad, actually, I think he took me to my first Artemisia movie when I was 12. Oh, wow. And I saw Outland with Sean Connery. And within the first five minutes, someone's head exploded. (laughs) And it freaked me out for the rest of the fucking movie. And he goes, you wanted to see an R-rated movie. That's incredible. (laughs) I
1: mean- I think it's amazing that like even so, there's there's such a rush to sort of discount things that are maybe, you know, discount some of those movies or media that are not made well or not up to this standard or or something like that. But yeah. a movie like um, like one of my favorite movies of all time. that's in my like, you know, holy trinity, like like split second nemesis and hardware from Richard Stanley hardware. Hell yeah. Like that, that helped introduce me to stuff that I, you know, was only just then getting into, like, that was the first time I heard ministry was in that movie. Oh,
0: that's interesting. I went on a date with someone who was a little bit of sort of the goth world back in the 90s. I didn't get the movie at the time, so I need to rewatch it. She was really into it. She was like, she was like, really into it. And he did another movie, which I have here. Because I used to get all this stuff sent to me, and I mm. still haven't watched it. He had a movie called Dust Devil.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Which I haven't seen. I don't, I don't know if it's, I have like this two disc special edition. Again, I need to watch all this stuff. As you can see behind me with the, <laughs> the CD collection, I have a big movie collection, and I abuse my privileges in this business, but then I'm like, I now have stacks of stuff where it's like, oh my God, <laughs> I've had this for 20 years and I still haven't watched it. And now you just give me more stuff to watch. So, what, like, with hardware, what is it about hardware that captivates you? curious because she was totally into it she just loved this movie first it was the sort of thing where it's like at the time that i saw
1: it i knew that i wasn't supposed to be watching it uh, because I, I think i saw that movie when i was 11 because uh, it, it came yeah. out in like 1990 so it's like you know once it hit blockbuster which was like if it wasn't the uh, if it wasn't the little um the little grocery store video rental then it's like okay what do the glories of blockbuster hold for me uh,
2: And I would watch
1: it on uh, like the little setup that I had was like a super old VCR connected to a very tiny, you remember those like portable TVs where it's like, it's still kind of a box that you carry around and it's like just a teensy little screen. So I'd have all the lights off. It'd be midnight and I'd I'd pop a movie in and like within the first 15 minutes, I'm like, I know that I shouldn't be watching this, but this rules. And There's like (laughs) something about the, um, you know, hearing stuff like ministry for the first time or like, you know, like Mm -hmm. Lemmy's, like Lemmy makes a five second cameo. I'm like,
0: (gasps) I recognize this Isn't Isn't he driving him across the canal or something like that? Was that the scene that he was in? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, he's a water cabbie. Yes, that was it. And
1: like, there's such musical history imbued in it. Because like, if I like something that I like learning everything I possibly can about it, So like, like the fact that the voice of the, of the radio DJ is Iggy Pop. He's, he's angry Bob, the, like the the main DJ for the thing. And it's very, uh, it's this very like dark dystopian atmosphere. But like, I, I feel like kind of the soul of industrial music is in that movie. And then the more you read about it, the more, the more it's like, uh, like, it's almost like the, the more it's like, wow, like a lot of my taste stemmed from this because, like, Chris Cunningham helped
0: make some of the effects for that movie. Hmm. And, and, you know? Cult movies are something that, in some ways, are an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain people that just love that stuff. And when I was a kid, I was a metal kid. And, uh, I mean, I was an honor student that liked heavy metal horror movies, comic books, Godzilla, Monty Python, which was made me inherently uncool with women back <laughs> then back in the 80s my <laughs> cult movies is that kind of a thing that's always had a through line but there is an again a generational thing with cult movies where i think that people like stuff from back in the day you know that's a whole problem with even with some metal fans and horror movie fans like a lot of the horror movie fans like the boobs and blood sure and it's like that's not really the reason like yeah it the, friday the 13th and the slash movies are sort of fu- are fun because they are sort of very hedonistic and gratuitous but the stuff that i really love isn't for that reason exactly it's for the reason of like, there's some weird concept uh, or there's something. One of my favorite films of all time is Miracle Mile with Anthony Edwards and Mary mm-hmm. Winningham. And most people don't, I don't know if you've seen it. I have not seen that one. I always,
1: I always in my head conflate it with like, I've seen Night of the Comet. I've probably seen this too.
0: <laughs> oh, it's different. Night of the Comet. It's funny. I, 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 I like Instagram friends like, with Kelly Maroney, who was oh. in Night of the Comet. She has this whole Instagram. She's doing movies again. So you should check it out. She's going and she has She posts pictures of Chopping Mall and all this oh, stuff. Oh, I
1: love Chopping Mall.
0: It's so ridiculous. I finally watched it two or three years ago. I'm like, this is, a, this is the classic stuff that I watched back in the day. But Miracle Mile has Anthony Edwards as a jazz musician. And he meets the woman of his dreams while he's on tour in L.A. And she's like a waitress at a coffee shop. So the first 15 minutes, romantic dramedy. Mm-hmm. He's going to leave to go back on tour. And he's going to have one more date with her at 3 in the morning when she gets off her shift. His alarm doesn't go off. He misses it, gets there like 4 or 5 in the morning. He leaves a, mes- a message on her machine on, from a payphone. phone. And he goes outside and he's checking. She's taking a volume, so she's not going to be picking it up. He gets this call. This guy calls from a missile silo in North Dakota. Thinks he's called his daddy. has the right number, the wrong area code. It basically says that we're going to launch our nuclear wad in 50 minutes. In an hour and 10, LA is going to get it back. <sighs> Harry Washell is the character. Thinks he's joking. It's like, no. It's like, look. I think, I think I see the mo- meme on the monitor. Just tell my dad, I'm sorry about that summer. And then he gets shot. You hear this gunfire. Somebody comes on the line and goes, this is a secure line. This is being traced. He's like, it's probably a felony to prank around on the phone like this. <laughs> like, what happened to that guy? He's okay, right? The guy on the other end goes, forget everything you just heard and go back to sleep. Oh, my God. Hangs up on him. He goes back in the coffee shop. Turns out there's, this is a stretch. You have to go with it. There's a woman there who's on a phone who knows that this is going to happen. So they rush off to the airport. He decides he's not going to go to the airport to catch this plane because he wants to find the woman he loves. He has 70 minutes if there's going to be a nuclear war, if he can convince her to leave. In the process, people die. There's some, some gas station gets blown up. And you do not know until the last 10 minutes of this movie if there's actually going to be a nuclear war. That's amazing. So it starts off as a romantic dramedy, turns into a black comedy. And then the last 30 minutes are utterly grim because you're like, holy shit, <laughs> this isn't funny anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, it's a great movie that very few people have ever seen. They showed it in New York a couple of years ago. So I finally met Anthony Edwards and Mary Winningham was there. I was like, if you ever come to NYC, Metrograph does. I, I guess you have like the new art. They still have the new art over in... Uh, West L.A. was that the place that Quentin Tarantino would do a lot oh, of the, uh, the the New Beverly? New Beverly. Yeah. That's it. Have you gone to see movies there? I have
1: not been to the New Beverly yet, but there was a I can't remember what the man. What was what was the what was the there, there's another theater that has that has a similar vibe that like like once things open up again, it's one of the things that I'm greatly looking forward to being able to do. Uh, yeah. So my wife and I went to a midnight, uh, l- like a midnight, like Studio Ghibli sort of thing. And, and, yeah, and, 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 and one of those that's just such a. Uh, and there's there's another one that I, I wish I could remember the name of. That's a just a classic theater out in Los Feliz where I saw Mandy, and it was just like, oh Nicholas Cage. Oh, still haven't seen that. It's it's glorious, absolutely glorious.
0: He's getting back to doing his crazy movies again. Oh yeah, which makes me think that he's due for a revival. I mean, he has a history of, of of swear words on Netflix. And I watched part of one of the episodes and I want to watch the whole thing. He did also Color Out of Space, I think, the H.P. Lovecraft adaptation. Yes, That's also Shutter. which was,
1: uh, that was Richard Stanley's return to film. Oh, really? Richard Stanley's had like a, just such an incredible ride through movies. Like he was exiled from the industry after the island of Dr. Moreau. And there's a great story about that. Someone made a documentary about it called lost souls the like the story of the island of dr moreau i've heard of that like lost souls is very worth your time not only just for a peek at what can go like all of the possible things that can go wrong during a film production all of that happened Mm. and he he walked away for a long time and i think it was during the filming of that documentary it then like that then started spreading around and people were like oh holy hell this is what happened during this production this is insane and it caught the attention of Elijah Wood and his producing partners and so they they approached uh-huh. they tracked him down and said hey if you had a budget and people who believed in what you did what would you want to do and he's like lovecraft movies colorado space would be the first one i don't think anyone's done this right and it's it very much has it has his stamp on it. It's the sort of thing where it's like, I don't know that it would be for everybody, but if you like what he does, it's like he never went away. It's like this could have come out directly after Hardware
0: and you'd be like, fuck yeah, dude, this is it. Before Nicholas Cage became that big 90s action mm-hmm. hero, he did these crazy 80s movies. There's one called Vampire's Kiss. Yes. I mean, he eats a live roach in this movie. He thinks he's a vampire after he goes on a date with Jennifer Beals. <laughs> and the whole thing is actually, it gets pretty horrific. He did all this crazy stuff back then, and I and like he's starting to do it again. I'm like, huh? Maybe this means that we're gonna. Maybe I'm just thinking. As, maybe I see it as a cycle, but I feel like he's due for a revival. Like I think he got too much into mainstream movies, mm-hmm. and I feel like part of what makes him great is the willingness that he could do a Vampire's Kiss and a Mandy, but do a Con Air. Right, right. Um, there aren't that many actors, and I love that they can do it. I love the fact that Elijah Wood and Daniel Radcliffe, rather than pursuing crazy big budget things after Lord of the Rings Mm -hmm. and Harry Potter have done the opposite. Like Daniel Radcliffe did horns and Elijah Wood did the remake of maniac and some other stuff. I think it's really interesting. Absolutely. Well, and like, even if we're just talking about
1: the, the Nick cage range, that's, I think that sort of speaks to like (laughs) why we love this stuff in the first place. The fact that he'll do something like Mandy, but you recognize like, this is also the guy who did the weatherman, which, you know, it's like, what a, like, what a great, dramatic turns. Like he could easily just do that if he chose to. He's having fun doing this. How does your wife view a lot of this stuff? Is she a fan?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. So it's the question. Oh, yeah. There
1: there are there are definitely things that she that she has now seen and become aware of because of me that she definitely would not have been or you know would not have had an interest in Prior. I, I pretty much know where the line is. I I know like, I'll, I'll, I'll try to watch something beforehand to go like, let me see if this is something that you would want to dip your toe in. Uh, t- typically if something has like a, like a comedic slant to it, like something like cabin in the woods. Is, yeah. Is perfect.
0: I, I remember seeing, you
1: that. know, so like that, that was sort of like the first little, the first little introduction. That was when we were first dating. I was like, this is going to be a perfect thing because it's, it's a, it's a little bit of everything. It's funny. It's a play on the tropes. It's it's all this stuff. But, but at the, by the same token, I don't think I could have gotten, gotten her to go see Mandy if it wasn't for the fact that one of her friends wanted to see it too. So we all met up at that theater. And she's like, Oh, that's she's interesting. Like, well, yeah. if she's going to go, then I guess I'll go too. But now it's a reference that she has. She's like, Oh yeah, this thing in Mandy. She's like, it, it's not the sort of thing I would choose on my own, but there's definitely parts. She's like, Yeah, I can... I can, I can see it.
0: I was going to ask you, that, and you answered the question about the, about the psychology, about why people have cult movies. I think there is a bit of a contrarian thing sometimes when, and I felt that way as a metalhead a bit as a kid, where like you're going against the grain. And part of it is you like it. Maybe part of it is you want to agitate people <laughs> because it's like it annoys them that you like it. <laughs> But but then but then I think about it. I'm like I still like it because I, I went to I went to film school and I kind of shrugged off a lot of the stuff that I grew up liking because I got into my art phase. Mm-hmm. And then later on, I'm like, screw it, I like all of this. Right. Like you can do this, you can have this. But, you know, I mean, I was watching some old episodes of Siskel and Ebert. They really did not like a lot of horror movies. Like there's some stuff they did. They actually liked Reanimator. Oh, they liked The Hidden. Yeah, they like some stuff. And Reanimator's actually really gruesome. I heard a story, I don't know if you read this, but I heard that the guy that played the dean who gets his head chopped off, hmm. you know, and with the, the really controversial oral oh, sex yeah. scene. Well, his wife eventually left him over that because she was really shocked by it. Oh. Like, I was reading something. I don't know if it's true, but supposedly, supposed like them. I think it is. The marriage didn't, uh, the marriage didn't last. <laughs> <laughs> she was very horrified that he did that, that scene. Is, that's understandable. That's understandable. <laughs> I, I mean, even the fact that there are
1: those movies with, with some big problems like that, but I think that there's also a big opportunity, especially now with uh, these sort of genres, to sort of uh, br- like bring other ideas, bring other bring other voices, and and and, yeah. and just explore things in a in a cool way that isn't uh isn't like you're watching a documentary or isn't like you're watching a a new show. It's like how, like how do we how do we convey this sense or how do we get some of these ideas across in using the same mediums that may have been closed off before? Like one of the things where, you know, it wasn't me going like, okay, maybe you'll like Mandy. (laughs) One of the, one of the things that we absolutely loved while it was running was every Sunday, like as soon as Lovecraft country came out, like that was, that was our jam was, was Lovecraft kind of like, this is, brilliant like what a what a cool way to to do all of that it's it's such a cool approach where every single episode it kind of eschewed the the regular arc of the way a series of television would go where each episode was its own self-contained exploration of not only a genre yeah but a character and and what that character's identity in the In the world and what and what these awful bits of American history would be and and their relation to, you know, to not even being allowed into aspects of this sort of fiction that should be made for the outsiders. And so now it's it's a it's it's such a cool thing to see that being that being explored and done in such a such a really cool way.
0: Yeah, I know Lovecraft. There was that issue of racism, mm-hmm. and uh, he, my friend Rich Torres, who's a who's another writer and cultural critic, he was saying to me how, yeah, he said Lovecraft doesn't write scary prose; he writes scared prose. I'm like,
1: oh, <laughs> That's a good way to put and, it.
0: And if you read the, if you read the original, like twelve, ten or twelve page Reanimator story, it's not like the movie; it's not funny. Mm. And at the end of the story, a lot of people he experimented on come out of the earth, like in his basement, I think, and they pull him in and they drag him underground. It's not the same ending as in the movie. It doesn't have humor. It's a very dark. And of course, I mean, the movie is an expansion of a short story. Sure. I mean, they made a reanimator musical, which I saw with George <laughs> Wentz from Cheers, <laughs> which is utterly surreal. But, you know, it's interesting, too. And I was thinking about movies like do you have you sampled any actual movies in your work? So there's I mean,
1: that was definitely the thing in certainly a big part of uh, not only like the 80s and 90s, you know, more like industrial and electronic stuff. Uh, But that's, that's sort of what drew me in to a lot of stuff was the way that like very specifically in that run of like the late eighties to the mid nineties, where you had like frontline assembly and skinny puppy building these giant noise collages out of things sampled from movie atmospheres and things like that. And when I was just sort of doing music for myself, not necessarily for release, you know, when, you know, just putting things on cassette and, 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 you know, and,
0: people are still doing that
1: too, by the way. That's a, that's very true. And it's, <laughs> man, I, uh, I, I, I have not, I have not gone down, down that nostalgia path, but uh, I, I definitely had a run of doing that from movies. I still like when I was going through old hard drives, found my sample archive of <laughs> this is, oh man, this is so nerdy. I would sample the show, the profiler from NBC. I love that. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. I love it with Allie Walker. I love that show so much and partially because the sound design on it was so incredible. And I love just listening to that. So while it would air, I (laughs) would, I would run like the two RCA cables out from the TV into, (laughs) into my computer and just record the entire show And then go through and pick out just the big like, you know, sound designy parts and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And just sort of keep it like, I think I only used that a couple times in songs that no one's ever going to hear because they were, you know, it's when I was learning how to do this stuff. But it's still like, it gave me the sense of like, oh, this is what I'm drawn to in some of these, in some of these other bands. There are parts where a song like the, a song like the mountain. On, uh, on, on Obsidian, the new record, there are little speech samples that are like, you know, from a legit like license, like, you know, this was a public domain thing. Like they have the rights, you have the, you have the license to okay. use this thing. So it's like, you can't play around with, with, you know, with, with, with doing that with the unlicensed stuff. So it's like, that was, that was a little nod to that area. But what I love doing is, how do I get that same sort of feel like the big, like frontline assembly, skinny puppy noise collage Yeah, with, uh, with doing stuff with sound sources that I have. So it's like, like the session for the mountain is just insane. I got a newer computer. And even when it hit the chorus of that, it's like, it's still like, I don't know, man, you're maxing out CPU on this. Cause there's so much stuff going on. So, hmm. so it's like part of these records is me sort of, like, the, like this entire trilogy is me, is me sort of exploring how do I create that same feeling that those songs gave me? Like if I had just freshly rented Split Second from Blockbuster in 1996 and drove home, what would I be listening to in the car? Like, yeah, it would probably be this album with these big, crazy noise collages and, you know, interesting rhythmic uses of stuff. How do I do that in, in my own way? Because I think there's... I think there's people who do a lot of the same, like they have the same sensibilities. They're just using different sound sources. Like I, like I love the hell out of flying Lotus. And, and right, like right. when I listen to a flying Lotus record, it lights my brain up the same way. And like, Oh my God, what I love about what he does is he's to me, he's doing what I love about skinny puppy just with different sound sources. And this is, this is brilliant. And it like changes. It it's one of those things that like I hear it for the first time. Like this completely changes the way I'm going to do production from here on out. Like I can't wait to to incorporate this influence. This dude is brilliant. I've seen him three times live, and I'll 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 see him eight more times live. That dude rules. You're
0: obviously very sensitive to sounds. <laughs> you, know, you talk about sound design a sure. lot. I haven't listened to an audiobook in a really long time. So, how much sound design is there in audiobook now, and why is it you prefer to say to hear a book as opposed to read a book? I'm kind of curious. Well,
1: it's a. Uh, I think it's more an issue of time. We all kind of fall into the habit of picking up our phones and scrolling, and yeah. fit, like, like a, like a lot of that is just. It's absolutely too much for me. Like I, I, I I try to stay very engaged on, on social media, but, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's kind of not my natural state. Like if it were, if it were me, it's like, I would, I would live like 40 miles away from everything out, out in the desert and have like no communication whatsoever. Like it's like, everything is too much input for me. And it's, and it's, uh, I I notice that it's actually like, huh, this is me taking all of this in is actually sort of a, it's like a mental drain. It's like, it's, it's too much for me. And so like, I try to like to help try to curb that. I'll put a, uh, I'll put like an ebook on there. So it's like, okay, if I have the urge to go, you know, scroll through stuff, mm-hmm. then I should, I should read something that's going to light my brain up instead. And something about the, uh, something about with, with the audiobook thing where it's like, you sort of have a guide through it. It's something where if I'm doing a, if I'm doing like a, like a household chore or something where it's like, yeah. you know, you would zone out anyway. It doesn't need your full concentration or it's like, you know, like the, like the other day, it's like, well, I'm changing my tire. So I don't, you know, I don't need to be like blasting Judas Priest. Cause I'm like, ah, I'm out in the garage playing, playing my music. Uh, <laughs> it's like, well.
0: My favorite band, by the way, which is That's funny.
1: fantastic. <laughs> it, it, it's like, it's, I mean, like, like what great. What what great music for like anything,
0: but at the same time it's like uh, like changing your tires and annoying your neighbors. It, well, who don't like metal ex- ex-
1: exactly, and and the and the sort of thing of like well, I I listen to music like I'm making music all the time, so I need another another bit of decompression, and I I have heard some some things where they have like a full production to it, like there's a there was a thing on Audible that was like a story that took place in the Alien universe. Uh, yeah. Called Alien Out of the Shadows, and it's like listening to a movie, and it's it's a great story. It's like there's Rucker Hauer is in it actually. He's, there he's he 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 played he plays Ash the uh or or rather the the voice and consciousness of Ash the the android, and they it's a, it's a story about Ripley. It takes place between the movies. I'm like this is this is awesome, but at the same time, there's books that are just. Whether they're whether they're like pure popcorn entertainment, like uh, uh, I, I really love the the John Connolly Charlie Parker series of books because I always have to have a it can't just be like a like a straight like like cool if it's a straight detective story but if you can have like a supernatural or a sci fi twist to it I think that's even cooler but uh, uh. but something about you you can get lost in the way that someone brings a book to life. Like, uh, like I listened to, I, I listened to the entire Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy as, as okay. audiobooks, And the way that Annihilation hit me, it's like I was walking around in a fugue state and it just sort of like, it overtook me in a, in a way that I know that uh, an album would get close to and movies have some, have sometimes gotten close to, but it, there's, there's sort of that almost that like primal early remembered aspect of like, it's someone telling you a story. You're getting a bedtime yeah. story. It like, like whenever, whenever you want there. And if you have a really skilled narrator, who's also like a very skilled actor, like uh, Joe Hill's NOS four a two is.
0: Mm-hmm. Nosferatu. Yeah.
1: Kate Mulgrew does the reading of that book and it's the best reading. It's the Best reading I've ever heard of an audiobook. It's it was the first thing I ever I ever you know quote unquote read from Joe Hill. And I'm like, I want Kate Mulgrew to read me every story because it's like Captain Janeway. Yeah, I'm like, this is she's so good. Like she's she's such an amazing actor that like it's just it brings things to life that that like yeah this would have been cool if I read this myself. But but her bringing this to life just just made everything that much more vibrant for me.
0: So this is funny. I was actually going through some, I was watching my dad has a Columbo box set and there's an episode of Mrs. Columbo on there. And she was Mrs. Columbo. Really? Which I didn't know for like 13 episodes back in the seventies. And you can find the trailer online. And then the funny thing is the woman who played her daughter is Lily Hayden, the violin player, who I'll be interviewing in a couple of weeks for this podcast. Who toured with Page and Plant back in the late '90s and put stuff out on Atlantic, and still does albums. Interesting. It's just bizarre, man. It's just really bizarre. I've realized that I'm glad I have eclectic taste because it just all goes like this. It just becomes this, and it's the same thing with you. I mean, you, you're a mashup of a lot of different influences. You're you're not clearly one thing. I mean, if if somebody I could put on, I want I wish to do a test. I should create a, a Spotify <laughs> playlist of your stuff and like play it to my girlfriend's friends or my friends and just see like. So what do you think? Like, oh, who are these groups? They're so like yeah, no, it's <laughs> one guy. not even just one group. It's one guy. It's, this is his musical multiple personality that's, situation? That, that is a
1: good way to look at it.
0: Well, and, and I, th- I think that in a good you know, way. Oh, oh, I, I appreciate that.
1: Thank you. And that's. I I know that that can like that can deter a lot of people because there's 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 a lot of people who they want an artist to do they like they want the band that they like to do this sound there's and that's, and that's not a fault. That's not a fault to them. That's not a fault to their taste. That's, it means that there's something that, that really resonated with them. There's, there's people who only want me to do tracks that have like a very defined, like, like if it's vocals, it has to be verse in chorus and there has to be loud guitars and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like that's awesome that you enjoy that aspect of it. And that's like, and I know that that means something like I'm, I'm, honored that, that that you connected with that aspect of that music i'm sure. i do a bunch of weird stuff like i may not be the band for you there's there's a million bands that that will do exactly that and i'm honored that they like those aspects of it uh, and i know that that probably it may cut down the appeal of blue Stolly as a project so like this is a little too all over the place but the people who yeah. are into that will be like this this rules I mean, like who else is doing <laughs> Who else is doing like a like a like a slow, gentle, ambient trip hop thing with zero guitars and then go straight into something like endure?
0: I guess now the the idea of genres in almost anything is sort of blurring for people. Right. I, I think in the past when I was growing up, you had to really classify something as a genre. And it's the same problem. You know, I was watching a movie recently. It's a noir movie from 1950 called Between Midnight and Dawn. Mm. And the first third is like this gritty crime thriller. The second third is the two cop buddy cops who are taking this woman out on a date and they're both like her. It's kind of an unusual setup, you know? And you know, one of them is going to win out. And then one of them gets killed. And then the third act is back to gritty crime thriller. Mm. And like, this is 1950. <laughs> And someone was suggesting this could be the first buddy cop movie. I'm like, that's interesting. Like, it's not huh. the kind of '80s buddy cop movie or '90s buddy cop movie we're used to, but yeah, it was a shift in tone. I'm like, yeah, it sort of works and sort of doesn't. Right, like right. it works. It could have been a little shorter in this in the second act, mm-hmm. but you know, people don't know what to do. What's like what well, I was thinking about Miracle Mile? Mm-hmm. Instead, it's the biggest shift in tone they'd ever seen in a movie because it's like going from like, hey, we've been in the relationship. Oh my God, we're gonna yeah. die. And there's a lot of that. And you're and you and obviously your music. I mean, I think there's a certain overriding sort of moody and dark element to a lot mm-hmm. of it. I mean, oh you know, yeah, like you, you love Twin Peaks <laughs> and you've got a mushroom cloud in your t-shirt. So like me, you embrace those dark things. I almost wonder sometimes too with those of us who like dark things, do we like them because our lives aren't that dark? Mm. You know, I remember interviewing a musician once. I think it was Michael Monroe from Hanoi Rocks years ago. And I said, well, because I noticed a lot of rockers liked horror movies. Mm. I said, well, do you like horror movies? I was like, you know, it's like I've had enough horror in my real yeah. life that I actually don't really want to watch it on screen. I'm like, that's interesting. I wonder if those of us who like all this stuff we are fascinated by experiencing it vicariously.
1: I think there's definitely a there's definitely a spectrum to that and I think there's a I think there's also a way that like I I think there's definitely that aspect and there there probably are those people where they where they're like they they also tend to be like the like the horror fans that you would least expect because it's someone who's like but you're yeah. so happy go like like yeah but it's fun it's like a roller coaster. By that same token, I think that there are people who enjoy that because it's a it's almost like a, like a, like a safe way to sort of like, like get, like get some of that stuff out. Like for me, this, uh, like this trilogy yeah. was, was written around the fact that I was, uh, I was, I was, t- I was taking care of my taking care of my mother while she was battling brain cancer. Oh,
2: wow. And
1: it was the, it was a sort of thing where it's like once, once the, once the doctor like, like gave us that, gave us that prognosis of like, here, like, Hey man, here's what this is. This is glioblastoma. There's no cure for this and it's going to be real rough. This is going to be the hardest thing you've ever had to do. It's not going to be easy to watch this with a, with a parent and and help them through. You're going to need all the help you can get. Yeah. Uh, And it was during a time that like, like what it requires of you to, not only be a caretaker, but, and, and also thank God there was a lot of amazing friends and family who pitched in and helped and stuff as well. Like I could not have done this without the, 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 the support of friends and family Yeah. Uh, and, and all the, and all the things dealing with, with that grief of like the, like the end of life things to, to deal with, with someone there, there were moments where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to like, how do I, how the hell do I make music after that? Like, like what, like what I do is so like, I, I never put what I do on a, on a pedestal beforehand. And like, and I have no desire to like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm the dude that's like, I don't want to be famous. I don't, I just want to be in my, I just want to be in my little hole making, making music and, and throwing it out there. And like, I don't, I don't want to be a name. I don't want to be anything, but I'm like, I'm going to need a way to get through this. And <laughs> And that's when the concept of the album Obsidian came about. I was like, how I feel is Obsidian. And the only things that would do it for me, like when I was, when I would be like driving on the way to the hospital, like when she could no longer be at home anymore, I'm like, I can't listen to something happy and I can't watch something that's... Like, I don't feel like watching comedies. I feel like watching horror movies because that's a... It's It's almost like... It's almost like go, like going on a. I'm not a roller coaster guy, but I would assume the people who like it like that aspect. Like, whoa, this is crazy for a little bit, but I'm safe. I'm strapped into this thing, so it's it, it was kind of a way of like having a like having a bit of catharsis, you know, like like driving on the way to driving on the way to the 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 hospital to go into the ICU, and 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 learn like what's like how much time do we have like. Uh, this calls for some, this calls for some 90s skinny puppy right now. This does not call for sunshine, lollipops and rainbows everywhere. So when, so when it came time to like, actually yeah. like, like, well, the only thing I can do to, I'm not a, I'm not a smart person. I'm not a skilled person. All I can do is make music. So why, why don't I why don't I like take a couple albums to really explore? Like there's, there's some songs that are there purely for fun you know, like, like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Cr- like crime wave, power outrage, stuff like that. That's, that's purely for like, Oh, I'm going to write, th- I'm going to write these about this uh, TV character that I like something about that. But there are some very, very dark lyrics on there. Like the, like the, the record copper, which is the the second album of the trilogy yep. kind of represents the road trip between Los Angeles, whereas uh, where I reside now and Phoenix, like I see, I see courts, and obsidian as these two cities with copper being the road trip, this long stretch of desert between them. And because these two Uh, cities have, you know, there's all the chaos that's, that's going on. There's your regular life. There's all of the end of life stuff that you're dealing with and the grief of like losing a parent. Um, yeah, because there was that like, like copper has to be something completely, completely different. And the songs that have, uh, the songs that have piano on them are this very piano that's behind me right now, ah, which, okay. which was, it was my mom's old piano that she rescued from the church that we went to. They were going to like, it, it's all, it's all old and beat up and they were going to haul it off to the dump. And she's like, if you're going to throw it away, just bring it to our house. Cause I'd, I'd like to have some music here. And so I, I grew up like plinking around on this thing. And when I would come home, for, or come back to, come back to her house from the, uh, you know, from either like the skilled nursing facility, tra- yeah. you know, trying to like do the, trying to do the, uh, the like physical and mental rehab or the ICU. When it was like, she's probably going to be in here for a bit. Uh, then the only, the only way that I had to write, if it wasn't, um, if I didn't have my laptop with me where it's like, you know, I would sometimes pull up and work on the mountain Because that was like, I was like, this song may never get finished, but I'm just going to pour everything into it. When I didn't have that, I would sit at this piano, even though a friend of mine like loaned me his acoustic guitar. He's like, Hey, here's, here's my nice one. You should be able to plink around on this. But because this piano was part of what launched me even wanting to do music in the first place. And my, and my mother was the one who encouraged me to do this. uh, I, I would, I would write little, I would write out little melodies and stuff like that. And record them on my phone here so all of all of the piano that's in that's in copper i don't have big fancy recording setups you know like i'm i'm a guy with a laptop a mic and a guitar so i'm like i don't i don't have the ability to like properly record a piano but i love the sound of imperfect and lo-fi things so i just recorded it on my phone and like air dropped it to my laptop I'm like oh, i'll throw a bunch of effects on this thing so it's it's a way to sort wow. of imbue that, that stuff into it and, and kind of tying it back to the stuff that we like on the side, like David Lynch and Twin Peaks and stuff like that. What drew me to David Lynch in the first place was the fact that all of these stories would have just some of the darkest, most messed up stuff you would ever see. And like, oh my God, this is horrific what these characters are enduring in the, in the middle of this. And it would almost be this hurricane of, uh, you know, of, of chaos and, 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 yeah, yeah. and, darkness, but it seems like with every single thing, there's always a moment, whether it's Mulholland drive or like fire walk with me or anything, there's always a moment where there's an, or, 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 or blue velvet. There's like a, there's an eye of the storm where all of that hits pause, all of the chaos hits pause. And there's like a very beautiful song or a very beautiful moment that like it makes all the characters stop and like, we're going to stop and watch this entire, this entire vocal performance of this very beautiful moving song that just sort of like, just sort of washes over all of the characters and sure things spin right back into being, being a hurricane of chaos and, and in existential dread, but it does a great job of showing that even in the middle of that, there can be something beautiful and there can be something there can be something affecting any, e- and even if it's something that's like, that may be imperfect, there's still something beautiful and, and, and worthwhile. And for the, and for the right person, it connects. No, exactly. Wow. That's quite a story. Oh, it's, 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 it's been wild.
0: It's been a wild. Is your mom still with us?
1: No, she, she unfortunately passed away in, um, in, in 2018. And,
0: uh, I'm sorry.
1: Oh, thank you. And there was, there was a lot of like, you know, like going back and forth and, and, uh, you know, having to do all the, having to do all the end of life wrap up stuff is, is just as difficult as as being a caretaker or, or even helping or, or being on the sideline. Like I is, as hard as it was to be it there. It
0: complicated. Oh yeah. I think about that stuff, how it's, there are things that should be simple in life, but right. now we have all these rules around them that we have to deal with and it's not so simple right it had to have been stressful because you you're you're not even focusing on that stuff you're focusing on your mom exactly
1: well uh, well I think like you can't come out of an experience like that and view the world the same way there there's so many small things that we that we that we all tend to get hung up on like 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 small things where it's like this should just be an annoyance but I'm letting it take over my life or there there there's there's some aspect that I'm focusing too much on or I'm putting too much of my energy on when we have a very finite time here and I I will I will yeah. be forever grateful for the for, for the people who came together to help with this and that speaks to like what an amazing woman she was because she had incredible friends, incredible family. Yeah, yeah. And everyone was like, Hey, I'm step like, you're not in this alone, buddy. Like you, like you may be interfacing with the doctors and stuff like that, but like, we're all, we all got your back. We're all, we're all helping out. For me, it's sort of like, it's sort of like dropped the, it dropped the veil of, of, of like, here's what matters. Here's what doesn't. And which I think, which I think is also why, why I sort of, Sort of started going like I can't deal with like uh, like having the constant the constant input from whether it's social media or or or, yeah. or things like that where it's like here like here's like here are there are legitimate things to to care about and, and and do need addressing but there's also so many small things that get that get thrown in and given equal importance and it's like man there are a lot of people hurting no matter what their station is and everyone needs compassion, but like, we don't know what, what people are going through. Cause I, I never said anything while this stuff was going on. I never let on that this, you know, cause she would, she was like, Hey, I don't want, it's, it's also like, this is not, this is not anybody's business. Like the like when I mentioned it was like when she passed and these albums are very much about that experience and getting through it. And as dark as some of the songs are, I hope that it can do something positive for someone the same way that like the same way that like one of those skinny puppy tracks would help me when I was you know when I was listening to it. I'm like, I don't know their mindset when they made this song. They could have been in a very, very dark place when they when they made this. Yeah. but something about that, something about that resonated with me and and really helped me. At the end of all of this, like my hope for kind of, you know, not not even not even just this music or anything. I hope that just for all of us, we just, everyone just be kind to each other and give give compassion to people.
0: That wraps up this latest episode of Side Jams. Please join me for the next installment, which will feature Simone Simmons from Epica. The tunes used in this episode are from Fox and the Law, and I license them through AudioSocket. As always, thank you very much for listening.